everybody. Like I said at the, uh, on the Zoom meeting, thanks for all your prayers. I know that you've all been rooting for us, wanting the best for us, and we are grateful. All right. This is a picture of the Coquihalla a couple of weeks ago. The Coquihalla is a highway that goes between the Okanagan, starts in Kelowna-ish, the Coquihalla Connector, 99A, I think it is, or something like that. And it goes through Hope, I believe, and then crosses the coastal mountain range to the lower mainland in Vancouver-ish area. And in one, in one way, the Coquihalla is the highway that I'm most emotionally connected to in the world. Because I grew up in B.C., and this was built while I was growing up. And it was meant to cut like an hour and a half or two hours off of any trip to Vancouver. And when we were living in Vernon, B.C., um, I always had family in Kelowna, sorry, Vancouver. And so we were always driving from the interior to the coast three, four, five, six times a year to go visit family. And so when the Coquihalla was done, it was a much better, much faster trip. And so this is like my highway. It was built while I was alive. It was kind of weird. They put a toll booth. It was supposed to be one of those like five-year toll booths that lasted 25 years. Um, They did eventually take the toll booth off this highway somewhere around 50 to 20 years after they were supposed to. And they'll probably put it back on there now that it's broken and they have to rebuild it again in a couple years. But, um, and it was really weird. The toll booth was like right at, almost at the summit. And I always wondered like, what if you don't have $10? Like this was back in the 90s when it wasn't all debit credit and all this stuff. Like what if you drove 75 kilometers to the top of a mountain and didn't have $10? Isn't that Somebody wasn't thinking. There was probably some law somewhere. All toll booths should be right in the middle of the highway. Whatever. It's on the top of a mountain. That's just, that's not love. Anyhow, as many of you know, there's just been tons of rain in BC recently, and it destroyed most of the highways from the coast to the interior, causing people to be isolated in some of their cities. Greg has family that for a while there, were completely cut off from having any kind of like food and medicine trucked in, so that was having to come in through helicopter and stuff like that. I saw one story of a guy in a Winnebago who said that he was trapped in between two destroyed bridges for like a month or something like that, but he looked like the real rustic type, so this is probably a dream come true. Can't come back from my holidays. But what this rainstorm, multiple rainstorm, Sky River, um, what this little bite of what it was like for the people in the days of Noah did by destroying these bridges is it reminded us how impassable mountains and valleys can be. That if you don't have a clear path through mountains and valleys, you can be very stuck. And it reminded me of a passage of scripture. Our family's kind of working through Luke very slowly with the kids for Advent. And it reminded me of a scripture that's quoted in Luke that comes from the book of Isaiah. And it says this. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. 
And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And when I hear that, and I remember BC, I just think how hard it is to actually fill in valleys. How difficult it is to level mountains. How tough it is to make the rough places smooth. How impossible it can feel to make the crooked things straight so that there's actually a highway to come. But this is what this prophecy is about. Someday, declares the Lord, I'm going to remove every obstacle for God rushing to his people. It's time. Someday you're going to hear the voice of someone crying out in the wilderness. It's time to make way for the Lord to come. And God is going to level every obstacle so that people can see the salvation of God. Now, this is what happened when we were reading this passage as our family. I was like, that sounds like a prophecy of major construction work, doesn't it? That sounds like excavators, front-end loaders, backhoes, graders, dump trucks, and whatever other heavy machinery that I didn't try to memorize that people who actually know what they're talking about would mention right now. Skid steers, those flattening things that people put rocks in the back and then tow around the dirt roads around here because our roads last until the next rain. And then you get washboard and then you lose your fillings. It is so hard to keep the crooked things straight. So I'm looking at this prophecy that sounds like major construction work. And then I ask the question, what did the fulfillment look like? Right? Because there's still lots of hills in Israel. There's still tons of hills in Israel. And valleys. And rockiness. But what did the fulfillment of this prophecy look like? It looked like a guy in camel hair yelling at people. This is what comes before the quotation of that prophecy. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, who was a total psychopath, pedophile murderer, Pontius Pilate, who was probably also a murderer, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of of the region, sorry, of Iturea and Trachonitis, sorry, you guys try to do this, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, who killed Jesus, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. This was the heavy work. A baptism of repentance. This is what was leveling the mountains for the way of the Lord. The confession of sins. This is what was filling in the valleys so that every all flesh could see the salvation of God. It was repentance. It was the confession of sins. It was being forgiven. It was the ministry of John the Baptist. The prophecy sounded like construction. The reality looked like sinners going to the Jordan River to confess that they're desperate sinners and need the forgiveness of God. 
Do you see that? I can't move forward till you see that. Can you put up your hand if you see that? The prophecy looked like moving earth. The fulfillment looked like people going into the Jordan River to confess that they were great sinners. Amen? So all the heavy lifting of preparing the way of the Lord when Jesus started his ministry was about getting people to repent, getting people to confess their sins, even in a public way. You had to come to the river. You had to get in the water. You had to speak your sins. You came out looking very wet. Nobody had to wonder if you just confessed your sins, you were dripping. Now, is that easy to do? Did John the Baptist have an easy ministry? When he rebuked Herod for uh, marrying his brother's wife, did it go well for him? That call to repentance? No. It's hard. It's difficult. We all know this. And so in my heart, I know that there's at least three tests when it comes to the call for confession of sin and repentance. Are you ready to do the tests? To hear the tests? Test number one. There's always the pride test. God didn't make it very easy for people to come to repent with John the Baptist. This was John the Baptist's loving ministry to the people of Israel. And he said, therefore, to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit, keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Has anybody here ever sinned before? Okay, don't you feel kind of ashamed? Don't you feel vulnerable? Don't you feel afraid of people finding out? And here comes the great messenger, the voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, and he's not that gentle. When people come, what's going out in the desert? The first thing they hear is, you're a bunch of vipers. Everybody knows there's some animals getting called that feels good. Oh, my sweet little dove. Husbands, good. Other animals, most animal calls, esta no bueno. Calling somebody a brood of vipers essentially says, you guys are a bunch of treacherous snakes. And they're the ones coming. You guys are poisonous, dangerous, treacherous. Who told you to come out here and get forgiven? Okay? Wouldn't your pride, if you're coming like, oh, I'm so terrible. You bet you are. I deserve to be punished. Amen. Like, wouldn't that wound your pride? And then he goes after their religious spiritual pride. Because as Jewish people, they would have thought, no matter what we're doing, at least we have the promises of Abraham. That we're Abraham's children. That God's not going to quit on us. That God won't forsake us. Wouldn't you, like in the midst of that, want to be like, at least I can fall back on the fact that God said that he's going to bless the children of Abraham forever. Right? In your heart. And the first thing, second thing John the Baptist says to them, don't do that. Don't think you're special. I tell you, you see this stone over here? I can make something special out of that stone if I want to, says the Lord. So don't hide behind Abraham. And then he threatens them. 
Why don't you just consider yourself a root with an axe laid against it? That will help you repent. That will help you confess. So there's this huge pride test when it comes to the people of God having their mountains brought down and their valleys filled in. Has anybody here ever felt like pride might keep you from repenting? Yeah, that's all of us. We need to pass the test for the sake of the Lord and keep passing it. I think I fall into the, can I just do it once thing? No, it's a daily thing. Test number two, the self-pity test. This is for me. If you want to tune out from this message right now, you can. You don't have to be here. Sometimes I need to preach something in order to get free from it. And we're having a humongous snowstorm right now. This is a good thing. So if you want to tune out from this, this is for me. I think this is where I fail the most when it comes to true repentance. The self-pity test. And I'm jumping out of this story. If anybody wants to say this isn't a true exegetical message because you went somewhere else with, for your text, guilty. But this also came out of my recent Bible reading. It's a story when Jesus goes to set the guy who is uh, demon-possessed with legion free. And I'm just going to read this, and I want to point out something, okay? And I'm going to turn around to read this because of my nearsightedness. But just follow with me. This is after, this is a few chapters later. And I'm going to read it from Mark because it says it a bit better for me. But this is what it says. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I abjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And this is what I want you to see. It's right, what I want me to see. You're off the hook. This is what I want me to see. We have a glimpse, a rare glimpse into the psychology of a demon in this interaction here. How does a demon think? Now, we know, because we read the, the Bible, that demons are the bad guys. Amen? Can we just... If you read your Bible, you know demons are the bad guys. If you're into anime, sometimes it's iffy. Don't go there. But, you know, it's not like cutesy with horns and some wings, and then they sing pop songs. No, no, not great. If you read the Bible, you know demons are the bad guys. And these demons have been so tormenting this guy that he's running around naked and he's living in tombs and he's howling like a wolf and he's cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus, the hero, shows up to set this guy free and starts telling these demons to leave, the demons feel sorry for themselves. Swear to me, Jesus, you won't torment me. Well, who are the tormentors? The demons. They're the bad guys. But when Jesus comes to bring healing, to bring his truth, to bring things getting better, who starts feeling sorry for themselves? Who has the self-pity? The demons. So I saw this, and I thought to myself, but, 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 but I have self-pity. I can do self-pity. Anybody? Feel sorry for yourself? I could do that. 
And I started to feel terrified. Like literally in the fear of the Lord terrified because I know I could not in myself tell the difference between me feeling sorry for myself or a demon in me telling, feeling sorry for himself. I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between me being like licking my wounds or legion licking his wounds when Jesus is trying to set me free. And so I just started feeling terrified like I can never trust my self-pity again. Because I won't be able to tell if it's me or him. So don't risk it. Did anybody here ever go uh, trick-or-treating in the 80s? There was this like scare. I don't know if you knew this. Like there was this scare like the razor blade and the apple scare. Did you, do you remember that? Or like needles. And I, probably one person didn't have a pincushion one time. And so they stuck it in an apple and accidentally gave it away. This was back before when people still handed out fruit. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have multivitamins back then. So they were like, you should eat fruit. But there was this whole scare about like razor blades and apples. And so when my mom let me go out trick-or-treating, if there was anything that was even close to being able to have like a needle or a razor blade put in it, it went straight into the garbage. Apples, oranges, I don't know if I ever got a banana. If it wasn't like a sealed candy, not worth the risk. When it comes to walking in repentance, walking in confession, walking in the light, self-pity, not worth the risk. That is my biggest test. That's my worst test. And number three, the practice test or the practical test. You can tell the crowds really were, were repentant and were really passing the pride test with John the Baptist because they responded like this. And the crowds asked, what then shall we do? Right? They wanted some instruction on how to change. And he answered them. Whoever has two to... No, he answered them. Sell everything you've got and give it away on YouTube. Or get on TikTok and cry. I'm, I'm making fun of this because the, the practice is so painfully normal that he tells them to do. If you have two things and you see someone who has no things, why don't you share? This is kindergarten, right? Share. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said, What shall we do, teacher? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Be honest. Like, do your job. <laughs> I'm repenting of my sins with John the Baptist right before God comes. What do you want me to do to repent? Just do your job. Like, that doesn't seem very spiritual. To people who are getting taken advantage of for their taxes, to find one tax collector who doesn't do that, that would feel very spiritual. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. How do I prove I've repented before God? Be okay with how much you're getting paid. Huh? Just so, like, isn't this just a bit absurd? How do you fill in the mountains? Sorry. How do you fill in the valleys? Don't ask me to do any yard work. How do you fill in the valleys? How do you level the mountains? Just, just 
do today good. Just be faithful to the people you go home with. Just be content with dinner. Just be gentle. Just do the small things right in front of you, says John the Baptist. And you can practice your repentance right there. Oh, was somebody talking about the dishes? I don't even know. Do the dishes. And, and rinse off the spaghetti sauce before you put the bowl in the dishwasher. Right? Every time we're, we ha- we've, we're beginning to have our conscience go off, we're going to face some tests. The pride test. Can I overcome the humility of this? The self-pity test. Can I, can I just deal with what I've done before the Lord without looking at the situation from my perspective? The practice test. Can I follow through and not just leave it words? And one thing we can do to help us with our repentance and stuff is we can just use the mirror of Scripture. Have you ever done this? I'm working through a book called uh, Disciplines of the Godly Man with a Brother. And we were just reading this chapter about devotion to the Lord, and he was exhorting people to make it your practice to just sit in the presence of God and confess that he loves you, confess that he forgives you, but spend some time just confessing your sin with him alone. Make it a regular practice. God, I just, I love you. It's so good to be here. I'm, I'm still a sinner. Thank you that you love me. I just want to confess, you know, I've, I was really impatient at home there and that was wrong. And just make it a, a habit to be confessing your sins to the Lord alone with him. And if you need help, you just use some scripture as a mirror. Here's the Ten Commandments on the left-hand side. You shall have no other gods before me. God, is there something that I've got bigger than you in my life? You shall not make yourself a carved image. Is there anything I own that's more important than the name of Christ right now? You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Have, is there any way that I've taken being a Christian in a bad direction? Remember the Sabbath day. Is there any way I'm not resting in you, God? Honor your father and mother. Is there any failure of respect in my life? You shall not murder. Is there any way that I'm hating anybody right now? You shall not commit adultery. Lord, am I walking in perfect purity? Please reveal to me where I'm going astray. You shall not steal. Lord, is there any act of material unfaithfulness, whether it's generosity or taking something that's not mine you want to talk to me about? You shall not bear false witness. God, is there any dishonesty in my mind or in my soul that I need to make right? You shall not covet. God, is there any way I'm grumbling because the life you've given me I'm not being content with? And you can work through a scripture like that, like that, just looking for God to give you the blessing of confession and repentance. Or you can take a positive scripture like the love chapter in 1 Corinthians. And you can just read it and say, love is patient. Am I being patient? Love is kind. Is there anywhere I'm not being kind? Love does not envy or boast. Is there any way I'm not being loving? Love is not arrogant or rude. Is there any way I'm being arrogant or rude that is falling short of your love, God? Am I insisting on my own ways? Am I being irritable or resentful? Ding, ding, ding. Anybody survive that one this last week? does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And just with the Lord, you can say, God, I wanted to do your love. Is there any way I'm falling short that you want to let me know so that I can confess it and walk free with you and be transformed? I want to see these mountains moved. I want the valley of the 
these valleys filled in to welcome you to my life and into my church. Amen. So I'm going to invite the team to come up. And I want to invite us as a church to just welcome the gift of confession and repentance afresh. If you're a Christian, I know you've done it at least once. How do you keep your marriage feeling joyful and like a great friendship? You, you keep doing daily repentance and offering free forgiveness. Marriages are healed and wrecked one little pebble at a time by keeping short accounts. How about your relationship with your kids? It's not, it's not too crazy. It's about soft-hearted repentance and offering quick forgiveness, speaking gently, listening patiently. Soft speech, I was wrong. Soft speech, I forgive you. That's how all relationships are repaired and maintained and the sweetness of fellowship is restored. And so, why don't we have a time of letting God talk to us? Why don't we tell ourselves the truth that confession is hard, it can wound our pride, it can mean that it costs us, it can mean that we know we're committing to change, which can feel intimidating. But it's such a gift, it welcomes the Lord, it welcomes the Lord. It welcomes the Lord. It creates a bridge and a highway for the grace of God to come with power. It's what causes us to be able to see the salvation. I'm not talking about that we don't have Jesus or that we're not under grace. But we get very blinded by the stuff. So why don't we have a time of listening and saying to the Lord, Lord, what you talk to me about, I want to respond well. And if you need to apologize to somebody, let's do it. There is grace and joy on the other side. If you need to confess of something, if you feel like there's something that's church-wide that you've been doing, you want to confess about, no names, no situations, but you could go in the prayer chat and just say, church, I just want to confess I've been judgmental or I've been hard-hearted or whatever. I, I won't stop you. Just don't. Don't include anybody else in what you're repenting. Don't name names. Don't name situations. But let's have a vision of Jesus being able to run to us without having to climb mountains and go through valleys because we as a people have embraced repentance in a new way, in love, for the glory of the Lord.